It's a real privilege to be able to come and share the Word of God today. And, and um, it's my hope and prayer that we can engage in not so much a sermon, but in a conversation today, a conversation between you and me, and, and then a conversation between us and the Lord. Uh, I do want to just add one little announcement. Today is our uh, uh, elders offering, too. We'll be taking that uh, as we uh, dismiss our service here this morning. And, and those funds that uh, you're led to give and contribute to the elders fund are monies that, golly, go out and meet the needs of individuals and people and families and circumstances that just come our way. And if we didn't have those funds, we couldn't help. So uh, keep that in mind and just to let you know that that's what we are privileged to do with those particular funds. And so today, um, I'm going to just uh, uh, add to the prayer that uh, has been already prayed by Dick and, and just uh, uh, in a very special way ask the Lord to be with us. Lord, uh, we do ask that. We hear in, in your word that you desire us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And consequently, this day, our prayer is that we will, we will be drawn to worship you in that way. Speak to our hearts, open our minds, uh, lead us into action. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the particular topic that, that I uh, took when I was uh, given the opportunity to do one of the one, one another um, passages of the scripture is the, is the topic uh, to love one another, but more specifically, let's take a look just for a minute, and you know, uh, I've, got, I've, got no, uh, I've got no PowerPoint, so you're going to have to just listen, be an auditory learner today. Uh, uh, in John chapter 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so uh, a, a month or two ago, I, I, I said, I'd, I'd like to speak on that. And then I realized that, that this is something that I wanted God to do in my life, because uh, there'd be nothing worse than speaking on something that God wasn't offered even working in your own life. So uh, with that in mind, we're going to take a look at that passage, particularly taking a look at the question, how did Jesus and how does Jesus love us? Because he says, love one another as I have loved you. Now, the, the depths of that love and the breadth of that love is, is uh, you know, we could we could write a library on it, you know? And so what I'm going to do today is, is take probably six things that came to my mind as I thought about how Jesus loved and loves me. And I want to consider those, those ways. And then I want to pose some questions for us. So it'll be a consideration of about six ways that Jesus loved us. And then a question 
for me and for you as to how we would apply and how we would embrace this love for one another as he has loved us. And so to begin with, I'd like to, and this isn't necessarily in priority, except point six will probably be the big one. Okay, so, so you're good until the last point, and then everybody wake up <laughs> at, that, at that point and be ready. Uh, but, but first of all, I am deeply moved by the fact that Jesus loved us and loves us by being present, by being present. And, and I, I want to cover sort of the spectrum here. Remember one of the, one of the names that, that embraced Jesus Christ was the name Emmanuel. God, what? With us. With us. And that Jesus came and was present with us. And uh, um, so we have the whole message of the incarnation is the message of the present one. The present one. And so Jesus came and he comes to us, brother and sister, wherever you are, wherever you are in your situation, Jesus comes to where you are, and that's the message of God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus comes to where you're at today and where I am. Uh, wherever, you know, Sheridan, Wyoming, yeah, there's the geography. How about the condition of your heart, my heart, your mind, my mind, my past week, your past week, uh, the challenges of tomorrow? Jesus comes to where you are. And this is illustrated, I think, in, in just powerful, beautiful ways because Jesus came and being present, he touched. He touched. He touched. In Mark chapter 1, uh, we, we read that a, uh, uh, a leper, a leper comes to him, and we read that the leper came to him beseeching Jesus and falling on his knees before, before him and said, if you are willing, I can make you clean, you, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. And you know, without using much imagination, you understand that nobody touched a leper. Nobody touched a leper. But Jesus touched the leper. He touched the leper. He was moved with compassion and touched. He was, he was present. And he was present by his touch. Besides Jesus touching, he also allowed himself to be touched. Oh, we have, a, we have a myriad of ways that he was literally touched. But the one that I'm thinking about is as he's on his way to, to, to address the issues in the family of Jairus and the daughter that's sick and dying, and the great multitude is following, and there's one person out in that multitude that says, if I just touch the hem of his garment... <laughs> I'll be made well. And that woman who'd suffered with uh, the, the issue of blood for 12 years, a dozen years, reaches out and touches Jesus' garment and is healed. And Jesus stops and calls her forth and says, your, your faith has saved you. Jesus allows himself to be touched. And we can go beyond that. Remember, remember, he was touched by those who crucified him. 
Uh, he, he, was, uh, he, he allowed himself to be, to be touched. His presence also is manifest in the power of his presence in terms of his love is manifested by the fact that Jesus was moved and is moved by the human condition. Um, we read in John 11.35, the shortest verse in the Bible, he goes to the funeral. No, the funeral's over. He goes to the tomb of Lazarus, and it says there that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He, he, he knew what he was going to do, but as he saw and observed the grief of the men and the women and Mary and Martha, Jesus wept. He was moved by the human condition and he's moved by the condition of your heart and my heart in the same way. As he came to Jerusalem, he looks over Jerusalem and he's moved to weep over the city because he's moved by the human condition. And so what I'm saying here, Jesus' love was not Love at a distance. It was not love at a distance. It was love that was present. And Jesus Christ loved in that way. So, that's the consideration. And now, uh, the question for you, for me, for Gary, for you. Is my love a love that, that touches Who am I touching and who am I letting touch me? And then where and when am I moved by the human condition? Outside of my own, you know, we're always moved by our own condition. And how are you and how am I being called right now to be present? To be present with someone else or in some situation that's calling you to be present and not removed. So, how did Jesus love us? He loved us by being present. How does he love us? He loves us by being present. Well, secondly, I'd like to consider the fact that Jesus manifested his love. And he loved us. He loved us by, uh, by serving and in John 13, where he says, you know, uh, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. It's in the context of Jesus taking off his outer garments, taking a towel, getting a wash basin, and, and washing the disciples' feet. Uh, now, Unfortunately, Jesus wasn't very selective because he, he also washed Judas' feet. Judas was there. He also washed the feet of Judas. And, and, um, and he wasn't really, really too tuned in to what was proper because, as Peter said, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. You know, this is, this is beneath you and me. And, but Jesus somehow just said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And so after that, after that whole encounter, Jesus says this. Um, and it's, it's really, really cool. 
He says, guys, do you know what I've done to you? Do you know what I've done to you? See, there's something to be understood in this. And Jesus wants to make it plain. Hours before his betrayal and crucifixion, Jesus does something and he says, I want you to understand. You call me teacher and Lord, and, and you're right, for so I am. Now, if I then, your Lord and your teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, if a slave is not greater than his master, neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So how did Jesus love us? Well, he loved us by serving. And, and there's, this, is the, this is the couple of little insights here that, that strike me. Uh, he, um, he loved by serving in the unexpected way. The last one that would have been expected to wash the feet that day was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so my questions after this consideration is this. How did Jesus love us? Well, he loved us by serving. And, and so I'm asking myself, asking you, where am, I, where am I serving? And then I'm asking you and me to consider what act of service is beneath me? Because that was Peter's concern. This is beneath you, Lord. <laughs> and Jesus says, Peter, you don't have a clue. Where in your family, where in your relationships do you look and say, you know, if I were to serve in this way, that's really beneath me. Jesus says, I want you to understand that that's not the way it operates. Uh, and then we might ask, what is my attitude? What is my attitude about, about serving? Uh, The notes, you know, I got them off the napkin, <laughs> put them on paper. Uh, and uh, so, so the final question, where and how are you and I being called to serve? And what's my attitude and what's your attitude about this? Brothers and sisters, I hope, I hope that, that some of you will, will look at that whole thing and be encouraged. And look at the service that you're doing right now in a way that you say, hey, thank you, Lord. I mean, I've, I've, kind, of, I've kind of balked at this and it's been, a, it's been a difficulty, but thanks for reminding me that you've called me. And for some of us that haven't, <laughs> haven't been listening to the call, that we might be, be prodded to, to know that there's not a person, person in this room that is, is not called by Jesus Christ to serve because that's the way he loved us. And he says, Father, I want them to love even as I have loved them. Service. Um, 
I think that the, the, another thing that, that strikes me about the way that Jesus loved us is that he, he is the great initiator. He's the great initiator. The passages in John 15, where Jesus, again, just hours before his, his crucifixion, in that final conversation that uh, he has with his disciples, he says, you know what? Um, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Jesus Christ is the great initiator. And I, I, in my visual image, I think of Christ's choosing as Gary Copsa, and I, you know, back in Cheyenne, Wyoming, there was little Gary Copsa out there on the playground. Venture School. It's not a school anymore, but it was then. And I was out on the playground. And back in those days, and, and again, it was ancient history, but we had... We had little, you could go and buy your little hat. You could buy your Yankee hat or your Confederate hat. And, uh, well, having been born in Waco, Texas, I bought my little Confederate hat. And I, and I was, and I was the, the leader of the Confederates on the, on the playground. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I think of that, I think of that uh, playground setting. And I think of the playgrounds of life. Uh, the places where you or I find ourselves, or others find themselves. And then Jesus stepping forward and saying, I choose you. I choose you to be in my team. I choose you to be uh, in my gang. <laughs> I choose you to be in my family. And this is, this is Jesus Christ, the initiator. And what I want to say there is that, is that his love was not passive. There's no passivity in this. It was active. And it was, it was, it was a love that chose. And, and so Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And, and ordained you to, to go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. I chose you. I chose you. And as I look out here, I see people have been who've been chosen to, to uh, be a part of all that Jesus is about. And then I think of another thing that is, was not passive for Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, uh, you might want to take a look at this. It's a, just a little verse, but it has great implications to it. Luke chapter 9, and uh, I think it says verse 31 here. I don't have my glasses on, but we're going to shoot for that. Uh, um, Luke chapter 9, 51, 51, yeah, there we go. So in Luke's narration of, of, of the life of Christ, in, in verse 51 of Luke, it says this, And it came about... When the days were approaching for his ascension, that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. Step by step, situation by situation, conversation by conversation, day and night, day and night, Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem, and he knew what was waiting for him there.
He knew that Jerusalem represented crucifixion. He set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. That's the way he loved us. This was no passive, passive act. This was an intentional act on your behalf and mine. Now, so, so with this, I ask myself these questions. What choices am I making and what choices am I willing to make with steadfastness for the sake of Jesus? Because that's the way he loved me. He loved me intentionally. He loved me with initiation. He loved me on purpose. He loves you on purpose. And, and even, even though it cost, even though it cost. Well, We'll be talking about that whole notion a little bit more in the next couple of minutes. The next thing I want to observe is that Jesus loved us with the notion of giving and forgiving. And last week, I wasn't here, but the outline looked really great. It looked like our brother talked about forgive one another really in a cool way. And I just, I don't want to... Uh, uh, preach that sermon again, it doesn't need to be, but I wanted to say a couple things about this whole idea of giving and forgiving. You see, we read in Mark chapter 10, 45, Jesus saying, uh, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, which we'll be talking about in a minute or two. To give his life a ransom for many, and then we read in, in an interesting account in, in Mark chapter 2 where, where Jesus steps into a situation at the pool of Bethesda, sees a man who's crippled, been there for years and years and years, and he looks at that man and he says, uh, your sins are forgiven your sins are forgiven. What do we know about the man? We don't know squat about the man, really, except he'd been there a long time. And the whole notion of Jesus forgiving and the whole notion of the word to forgive, it just strikes me as that it's giving before the fact. And, you know, we love to forgive Folks that come and say, please forgive me. <laughs> but, but the forgiveness was granted before there was even a sense in the guy's heart and mind that I need to be forgiven. He says, your sins are forgiven. And then he goes and, and also heals the guy. Now, that, that little gem is, I think... Uh, captured more fully from the cross. Luke 23, verse 34, when Jesus says, I don't know how he, had, how he could have expressed it. Uh, I don't know, but there had to have been anguish and pain and devastation because he was hanging on a cross. 
He was nailed. He'd been beaten. And he sees the jeerers out there. He sees those who'd, who'd, who'd pounded the nails. He sees those who had accused him falsely. He sees those who said, hey, if you're reading the Son of God, now come on down. Come on down. Come on down. Come on. And prove it. He saw all that. And he said, Father, forgive them. Because they don't have a clue. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Any of you struggle over this forgiveness issue? Well, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then the notion of forgiving being the thing that you do <laughs> sometimes, maybe frequently before the fact. And the forgiveness, brothers and sisters, can so many times bring the healing, not simply to the person that you've chosen to forgive, but to your own heart, your own heart. Just, just one other little point I'd like to make. As you and I find ourselves in the grips of unforgiveness, we are in a situation where, where we're robbing ourselves of the freedom and the liberty that God wants to give us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. So, well, two more points. How did Jesus love us? Well, he loved us truly. And for some of you uh, who are really ancient like myself, and I never did like this song, I love you truly, truly dear, you know. I mean, that's one of those that was just kind of crooned back in the 50s. Uh, but, but Jesus Christ loved us truly. In other words, he never compromised saying and being what was true in order to gain a following. I'm thinking most pertinently of... Um, this passage in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Turn with me, if you would, because it's a familiar passage, but I think that it's uh, worth looking at with this whole idea of, the, of, of Jesus loving us in a true way. Um, in Mark 10, we have the account of, of the well-meaning sincere young man um, in Mark 10, 21, who comes to Jesus, starting with verse 17. And Jesus was setting out on a journey, and a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not fear, bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the man said to him, Teacher, you know, I've, I've kept all these things from my youth up. And there's the key thing. And, and looking at him, Jesus loved him. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. 
and then said, one thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Well, at these words, the young man's face fell, and he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. Now, a couple things about that. First of all, Jesus loved the guy. Number two, the hard thing that was said came out of that love. Number three, who owned what? Did the young man own the property or the property own him? And uh, uh, we don't know what transpired after that, but that, that's the way that, that conversation went. I think of John's gospel where we run into the words in the King James, verily, verily, or in the more uh, uh, contemporary translations, truly, truly. You know, verily comes from veritas, to verify, to make it true, you know. And all the truly, trulys that Jesus says, all the truly, trulys. And John chapter 3, uh, the interview with Nicodemus, Jesus says, well, first of all, Nicodemus comes up and says, Oh, teacher, oh, teacher, we know you've got to be a guy come from God because nobody can do these things except God is with him. And Jesus says, well, thanks for the compliment. Oh, no, he says, thanks for recognizing. No, 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 he says, he looks him in the eye with love and says, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Well, cut Nicodemus off guard. But words of love and words of truth that, that, that address the need of the moment. Well, um, not everybody would respond positively to the truth, but the truth was never compromised. So my question for us here is, um, do I love in such a way as to speak and to live the truth? And then my question to me and to you is this, what truth am I ignoring because it's hard? What truth am I ignoring because it's hard? Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And his love for us was never one that compromised what was true. Well, finally, um, Um, I want to talk about the sacrificial nature of Jesus' love. Two songs I asked Sam to, to, to uh, lead us in today. The one was um, 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 O Lamb of God, O Lamb of God. And the other one was, um, uh, what was the other one? Anyway, it was... It was, it was, both of them had to do with the sacrificial. It's the one that says, your only son, no sin to hide, but he, you have sent him from your side to be led by your staff and rod and to become the Lamb of God. And the other one was, in, in the, Latin, the Latin, 
We say Agnes Dei, that means Lamb of God, but it's Anya Dei, I think. But I think about Jesus' sacrificial love. And, you know, these other five examples um, that I've kind of drawn upon here of how Jesus loved us, it's kind of embodied in this. Um, and so, brother and sister, um, twice in John's gospel, right at the very beginning, the very first chapter, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And what had that, what, what was the meaning of that denotation to those men that heard John say that? Because the only thing that had to have come to mind was this, the sacrificed lamb, the lamb that was killed, the lamb that's killed for sin. And they had, they had to say, what in the world is this all about? He looks at Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God. What does that mean? Well, it means sacrifice. Couldn't mean anything else. Couldn't mean anything else. And, and we come to understand and perceive that, that Jesus Christ came with a sacrificial love. We read in Luke's gospel, Luke 22, Luke's account of the Lord's Supper. And Jesus, hours before he's betrayed, takes that bread and says, this is my body which is for you. He takes the cup and says, this is my blood which is for you. Um, he says in John chapter 15, greater love has no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. And, and then he says, you're my friends. Now, this sacrificial love, I want to try to describe here for a minute. It's no mere love of convenience. It's no mere love of natural affinity. And there are brothers and sisters right out here that I look at and I say, I really like that guy. I really like that lady because, because there's a natural affinity and there's a convenience there. And there's some that I look out there and say, well, you know, maybe yes, maybe no. Well, Jesus Christ's love was never a love of natural affinity, never a love of convenience. But rather it was a love, now follow me here, it was a love for the weaker. It was a love for the fallible. It was a love for the fallen. It was a love for the despised. It was a love for the ostracized. It was a love for the violent. It was a love for the ignorant. It was a love for the ones in bondage, the sinner. And it was a love for the morally and spiritually inferior because there wasn't anybody that Jesus interacted with that wasn't that. And I might interact with folks that are my superior. And I might think I'm interacting with folks that are my inferior. Well, that's a bunch of garbage. Because the love of Jesus Christ, the love that he loved us with, it was a love that transcended personal relative worthiness. It was a love that recognized the need 
And there was no one that ever confronted Jesus who Jesus could, have, could, could not have looked at and said, well, you know, you're, you're unworthy. You're, you're inferior. You're not. Th that's us. That's us. That's us. Now, what does that mean to you and me? Here's the questions. We're going to get them. We got them right here. Okay. Is my love in yours, is it primarily a love of convenience and natural affinity? And then, how is Jesus calling me to lay down my life for another? There's a lot of ways, you know, greater love is no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. Okay. Jesus died, right? But you know, there's a lot of ways that you and I can lay down our life for another. In fact, there's a lot of ways that we're being called to do that. We're being called to lay down our life for another. Let me suggest a couple. First of all, time. Time. Can you love one another? by giving another your time. Another one we talked about right off the bat is presence. Can you lay down your life for another person by, by being present? Might God be calling you to do that? Um. Can you lay down your life for another by being the listener and not necessarily the advisor? Can you lay down your life for another by setting aside time to specifically pray for them? How might the Lord call us to sacrifice some of the things that we hold precious in our love for one another. Well, um, I hope that um, some of you have been encouraged. I hope that some of you have been exhorted as we've considered how Jesus loved us and recognize that as He has loved us, we are to love one another. Let's just close in a prayer here. Holy, holy, holy art thou, O God. And um, we aren't, you are. Lord Jesus, thank you for the myriad of ways that you've shown, improved, and manifested your love to us. And um, I just pray that uh, we'll um, take encouragement that we might continue on the path that you put before us. And then I pray that, that if you've pricked our heart in a particular area today, that we'll be um, intentional, as you were, Lord, to uh, step into that arena of love and to know your power in it. We pray these things in the name of you, our Savior. Amen.